Hello and welcome to A Bit Above Podcast. I'm Audra. And I'm Hadassah. And we are two average women living oceans apart. Our show displays a reachable lifestyle where we work to be better versions of ourselves in our day-to-day life. We know that the constant strive for perfection can lead to anxieties and disappointment, so we make changes that enhance our lives without giving up the things we love. Join us each week as we chat about motherhood, positivity, feel-good stories, relationships, and everything in between. Welcome, everybody, to episode 18 of A Bit Above Podcast. Can you believe, Audra, that it's been 18 episodes already? Didn't we just start? I feel like it literally was just the other week. I cannot believe we are nearing 20 episodes already. I guess we've been so busy. We haven't noticed the time go by. I guess like maybe when we get to like our 100th episode, we definitely have to do a little something to mark that occasion. Let's get there. We're not yet. Okay. All right. So here with us today for the introduction of the episode, we have Josh Nichols and he's going to be on with us the entire episode. Josh is a therapist. You've heard him before on other episodes, Um, but he's here now to answer all our burning questions or some of them because we got lots more. But for now, um, hey, Josh, how's it going? How's your week going? It's going pretty well. Uh, Thank you for having me on the show again today. Of course, we have to definitely, you know, get all our questions answered. And we we have a lot. When every time we sit down to come up with questions for you, we never not have things. We always have something. Yeah, we have yeah. too many questions. <laughs> Am I allowed to submit questions to you guys? Well, yeah. So I've been listening, listening to the show and I'm thinking, I, I feel like I have lots of questions. For us or for yourself? <laughs> yeah, you guys make me question myself a lot. Ooh. Uh, but no, no, I'm just kidding. Uh <laughs> No, it's questions for you guys, um, but I, um, I haven't been writing them down, but if I can ask questions, I'll start writing my questions down for you guys. Oh, 100%. We can definitely have a segment of Josh ask us questions. And <laughs> <laughs> Little we world reversal, it sounds I like. I know. <laughs> well, we get We're the advice from therapy. you. So. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, well, we do want to get to know you more um, because... You know, you're a therapist, but everybody is a lot more than just their title and career, which is what Audra says all the time. So I don't want to take credit for that. (laughs) But uh, so we want to do a rapid fire round question, a little game to get to know you better. How does that sound? That sounds great. All right. So Audra, you start. Okay. Yeah, I got the first question. He says he thinks. Do you think we would, um, you know, back you into a corner? (laughs) You know, I have a, a show that I do on another hobby that I have where uh, and when I do a rapid fire and I always have to reassure people, um, I'm not going to ruin your reputation <laughs> with rapid fires. No, this so. is not therapy because we know that you probably don't want to answer therapy questions in a, in a rapid way. So um, this is about you. Sounds good. Are you an early bird or a night owl? Early bird. Easy. Ooh, I know that so because the- you send your messages very early in your morning. Right. And there's a reason for that. Um, I have narcolepsy. So people that are tuning in that all the fellow narcos there and they know exactly what I'm talking about. The waking up in the middle of the night is a common occurrence for a narcoleptic. And so I'll wake up and fire off a couple of emails or uh, tweets or, you know, Instagram pics or something and go back to bed till the next time I wake up. That's kind of one of the common characteristics of people with narcolepsy. I mean, Josh, not that this is very rapid here, but um, don't you know that there's the right times to post on Instagram? Yeah, it's when you <laughs> wake up in the middle of the night. <laughs> no, well, you want people to see it. So you have to post it when they're awake. <laughs> oh, uh, I just want something to do. 
I know like uh, through like the analytics and there's uh, going to be certain t- times that based on what audience you're aiming for. Yeah. But, Cause I'll, I'm yeah. here in Israel and I'll see you post on Instagram in the middle of the night. And I'm like, who's awake right now? You know, to be honest with you, um, I'm thinking to myself, I bet Hadassah sees this. So oh, really? okay. I'm going to like it next time. <laughs> Uh, if you could learn one professional skill, what would it be? And obviously not any professions that you have right now. Singing. Oh, really? What's, what genre would you sing? You know, uh, ooh, that's a good question. Um, probably be country somewhere in there. Red dirt, maybe. Uh, I love it. Because that's the most I'm familiar with. But I like many, many genres. If I, and, you know, to be honest with you, you know, if I could sing like Bruno Mars, but you gotta be, as, <laughs> you gotta be as smooth as Bruno Mars too. I mean, I wish I could move like that guy too. So I see it. You just have to make a vision board yeah. and you'll get it. <laughs> right, right. What was the worst haircut you ever had? You're asking a bald guy here. So <laughs> a very strange question. Um, <laughs> and I was like, oh. <laughs> so wait, 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 maybe like, what was your worst childhood haircut? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I, I, I kind of am assuming. That's all I have to go off of. So, I mean, I don't have any haircuts that were traumatizing to me, but looking back on it, kind of the, you know, do you guys remember the bowl, the, the wedge? I don't know what they called it, you know? No. Um, <laughs> I, I tried to do most. Oh, oh, no, I got it. Um, my mom uh, gave me a perm once. So, <laughs> and I, and I want to say that too. My mom gave me, I mean, she had someone do it, but. I, I just want people to know that, that was not my decision. If ever a picture of me emerges with my mullet perm, you know. Wait, you had a mullet and it was perm? Well, I'm as, I mean, it was long in the back. It was just in the back. I mean, this is, guys, this is in again, right? The, the mullet perm. Well, I don't know what they call it, but this is trending again, I think. Josh, I actually have a question and I hope it's sensitive, but it's, it's kind of like a joke I saw on the internet, but I always wonder what this question is. Um, the answer is, but if you're, uh, I guess we could say bald, is that a good way to say it? Um, what do you write on your like driver's license? What color hair you have? Oh, you know, that's a good question. Let me look, see what I have on my, um, I don't know if I've ever renewed it. Um, or I think I just keep it the same. Oh, my, my driver's license doesn't have that option. It just has your, uh, height, weight and your eye color. Okay, let me get one more. One more? Is that okay? Yeah. Is it is it comfortable still? <laughs> yeah, no, this is those okay. Are, good. Those are fun. Okay. Yeah. Um, what what about a hairnet when you go into like a kitchen? <laughs> uh, my sorry. my thought is is that I put it around my beard. Like that would be more practical, right? Like to put it over your face. In fact, uh, when I had a procedure done on my back where uh, they had to, I don't know, they had to put a hairnet on or a cap on my head. And um, <laughs> I think my father-in-law was there with me because he had to drive me home. And uh, while I was waiting for them, I just put the cap all over because I had a full beard at that time. So I was like, it's more, makes more sense to just put it over my beard. So that's how I wore it <laughs> while I was in there. So I hope you feel comfortable with us. Like, I hope we don't, we don't make you feel unsafe. <laughs> guys, I, I, one of my main specialties is working with sex addiction. So you <laughs> so guys are nothing. far from making me uncomfortable right now. So, okay. Good. Yeah. I did right, not I'll be know here. she was going to ask those questions. I'm like dying over here. <laughs> All right. Well, let, let's move on to the next rapid fire and make these a little bit more rapid. But um, if you could bring back any fashion trend, what would it be? Well, didn't he just say the mullet? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I would not. 
Uh, you know, probably most things from the 80s. I, th- I think as I've gotten older, I, I really wasn't very fond of the 80s. I don't even remember the 80s all that much, but looking back on it now, I think uh, some of the trends from the 80s were really cool, except for the the really big hair. If you could eat one meal every day for the rest of your life, what would it be? There's one particular concoction that I think I could eat every day for the rest of my life. And that is banana and peanut butter. Oh, wow. I absolutely love banana and crunchy peanut butter. Mm, mm, that sounds yeah. fantastic. I'm, I'm with Wait, you. Was that a specialty yeah. of like Elvis? Huh? You have like that I have peanut no butter clue. in banana know. sandwich. I think it is. I, oh, I sandwich. You put it on yeah. bread. Yeah, I think you put his on bread. I think that was oh. like his, like the Elvis sandwich. Well, I could probably do it on toast. I don't know if I could do it on just soft bread, but no, I just, just straight banana and peanut butter. Mm, That sounds fantastic. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Josh, are you a traveler or a homebody? 50, 50 on that one. Um, It's been different during the pandemic. I really value being at home right now. It's kind of weird because you can't travel. You think I'd value traveling more, but um, I think just through the pandemic, just slowing down and learning to appreciate what you have, you know, uh, I really look forward to getting home. What's your favorite meal to cook and why? Besides for whatever that was, the banana. <laughs> and the- I love cooking burgers on the grill and I love That's cooking fun. on the grill so much. I don't do it as much as I wish I could. But um, one of my goals was to do it out in like blizzardy type weather. So one day, a really huge snow was coming down, and my wife has pictures of me out there completely decked out in all my ski gear, grilling while it's snowing. Wait, that's not enjoyable. I live in New Hampshire. That's literally how I grill in the winter. It's not fun, and I love to grill. Do you put your sauce on your Chick-fil-A, or do you dip your Chick-fil-A into the sauce? I dip, and I am only a Chick-fil-A sauce sauce person. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. I dip. I am very much a sauce person. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid and I'd eat burgers, I got, I'd get in trouble by my dad for holding the ketchup bottle in my hand and, uh, and squirting the ketchup directly onto the bite I'm about to eat. You literally just described half my family. Yeah. They, they literally have like dipping containers and they dip their burgers in a bowl of ketchup. Oh, and I'm yeah. not a condiment person. And I'm like, ew, how yeah. am I related to these people? All right, exactly. let's, let's get to the last one because I know we have really important, very um, insightful questions to ask. So let's ask these yeah. silly ones first. Well, this one is very insightful. What's the weirdest food you've ever eaten? The weirdest food? Um, uh, it better be boy, no cricket. <laughs> you know, I'm probably not that adventurous because it would probably just be something like calamari or I don't know, like some kind of seafood probably. Um, I'd probably say the most disgusting food I ever eaten though was hominy. Um, I'll never forget that experience. The worst experience. Word. What is that? I don't even know. That's the one that's traumatized. You don't even know what kind of food it is. (laughs) Thinking back, thinking back on it kind of reminded me a little bit of corn, you know, of some sort. Interesting. I never heard of that. Audra, stop Googling it. We'll Google it after. You know, I'm Googling it. Okay, so now let's get into the acid therapist part of today's episode because we do have a lot to go over. So, Josh, the way it's going to work whenever we do an acid therapist episode is we're going to have five questions for you. They are a little random, but it's the questions that we want to know or our listeners want to know. I know we're kind of putting you on the spot with these, but we hope that you can give us some advice. 
I'll do the best that I can. I'm, I'm kind of excited about this because I'm not prepared for this one. I should have let you prepare, I know, but these are good. They're not hard. Wait like a few more weeks or whatever, and we're going to have some <laughs> tough ones on for you. <laughs> that sounds good. I'm up to the challenge. All right. So the first question is, how do you deal with someone in your life that is hard to deal with? Everybody has that person. I mean, most people, whoever doesn't is very lucky, but like a toxic relative, like a coworker, someone you can't remove, you know, usually you'd be like, ah, just stay away from toxic people, but you can't get rid of your boss. You know, you can't get rid of, you know, family members. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the easy answer to that, which I'm sure a lot of people have already, you know, got this word rattling around in their head is boundaries, having really good boundaries. And it's not so much knowing your boundaries and being able to convey those to somebody else. If you know your boundaries well enough, most people will get the point. You know, there are some people in our lives that you just got to have a talk with, you know, but most people will kind of just understand that this is a boundary of yours or is something you're willing to do or not willing to do. And some people are going to be very judgmental over that. Some people aren't. But one thing that my wife and I do when we have uh, encountered this type of situation where we know we are going to be in a a situation that's going to cause a stress or anxiety or a person's just plain toxic, uh, we have a conversation about how we want to behave around this person. So whether you're in a relationship and you can have that dialogue with somebody, that's ideal. But if not, you can just dialogue with yourself in a mirror and just talk to yourself about how you want to behave around this person. A lot of people feel constrained, though, when they leave the confines of their home because that's your that's your domain. You know, so you set the rules there. You're entering into a space where other people are setting rules and you're kind of having to maneuver through this world of that. Maybe it's a Christmas party or something and you kind of feel like you got you need to be there, but you're not in charge, but you still are in charge of your person. Right. So figure out an exit strategy, decide what is good for you. And people might question that. They might wonder, like, you know, why did Audra leave the party randomly? Well, maybe Audra decided that every 30 minutes she needs to go outside and breathe and just have some time to herself so that she can, you know, man, it's just a way to manage her sanity, basically, so she, she can be present and make this a, the best experience that she can, given the expectations there. I think you just like nailed me on the head. <laughs> I've been listening to the podcast a little bit. I'm like the opposite. I'm like, how do we get this person to change? <laughs> My therapist always yeah. knocks me in the head for that because like she always says, like, you can only control how you react, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, make him change. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Anyway. Well, the interesting thing is, is usually we don't want to change people. We just want to change di- how they operate. And so like the dynamics of functioning. And so um, if you focus on changing how you're operating, it will change how that person operates with you. You know, so in a way you can change somebody else, You, but as long as that's the focus, you'll never change them. My question is, when is an ultimatum okay in a relationship? And I guess it's twofold because is an ultimatum okay in a relationship? Oh, wait, can I stick in one, one, just one thing? But what about like um, deal breakers, I guess? Like what? Right? Like, ugh, whatever. This is kind of yeah, like your relationship. Deal I get where you I get where you're coming from. That's a really good question. And um, we're back on boundaries again, because basically an ultimatum, as I'm assuming we're defining it as like uh, you do this or else. That's kind of what how most people would define an ultimatum. Yeah. Like I'm not willing Uh, to accept this behavior. So either change it or I'm leaving. Right. So I completely 
disagree or am opposed to ultimatums in relationships. So, um, but that's only because of this, because I do think there is an undertone to an ultimatum and it can be very much confused with what Hadassah was talking about, about deal breakers, you know, and those are boundaries. Those are a certain type of boundaries or what we would call non-negotiable boundaries, you know, where ultimatums, you, you know, like I said earlier, you do this or else. It sounds very punitive or vindictive. It doesn't come from a spirit of love and kindness, you know, whereas deal breakers or non-negotiables is more about being true to yourself, you know? So it's, to me, it's not, it sounds like an ultimatum because it's saying like, look, if you don't do this, then I'm going to do this. Let me, can I give you guys an example from maybe from what, how we do this in our sessions here. Cause uh, as we work with a lot of couples who've experienced infidelity and sometimes there's uh, someone does chronic infidelity. So they have lots of affair partners that usually signals there's more of a problem there. And it's usually kind of etched in trauma. You know, there's a trauma base there. And so uh, a lot of times one of the non-negotiable boundaries the partner has, if they're going to work to try to heal this relationship, the injured partner, they will have a non-negotiable boundary of uh, you have to be in therapy. If you're not willing to get help for yourself, then I'm not willing to stay in this relationship. That's a deal breaker, no? Yeah, that, that, that would be considered a deal breaker. Like that's, if you don't do, if you don't go get help for yourself, because clearly there's a problem here, then it's too risky for me to be in this relationship. So that would be a deal breaker, right? That sounds very different than saying you do this or else, right? Yeah. And so I would say that, you know, there is no room for ultimatums from how I view it. There has to be every couple, every person in, a, in any type of relationship probably should know what their uh, non-negotiable boundaries are. So this would be the thing that would, if you were to ask in any type of relationship, friendship, couples, you know, what is something that would definitely put this relationship at risk for it ending completely? That would be a non-negotiable boundary. I am not for ultimatums at all. And I think part of that is because I always try to find a way to talk through everything. Just because you like to do it doesn't mean the other one wants to pick apart it with the conversation. <laughs> hey, they either stick around or they don't. <laughs> to put it in a different way, too. Um, you see ultimatums more in codependent relationships and non-negotiable boundaries are more in what we would call interdependent relationships, which is kind of a more, it's a relationship where there is an us, but there is still a me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? I do want to so, talk about yeah. uh, codependency <clears throat> one episode because it is something that we, every couple has a bit of dependency on the other person, codependency of the other person. So like mm -hmm. a lot of couples can like have to figure out how to balance that. And I think it's really relatable to like a lot of people. So one day, like, do you think we can talk about codependency? Oh, absolutely. I think our, our culture even encourages codependent relationships the way, mm. the way, the way the our, movies. our cultural messages. Yeah, movies, it starts yeah, with the movies. I, I grew up thinking yeah. that I was going to be sitting on a curb sad and like a guy was going to come and like, Asked me like yeah. what was wrong and like saved the day. And then I yeah. started dating and I realized that uh, that doesn't seem to go that you're, way. <laughs> or you're thinking of Jerry Maguire, you know, you complete me, you know. Type. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even a whole person until I meet that one person that completes me. You know, that's very, it's very romantic. But yeah. It's not, it's uh, not a long term formula for marital success or relational success. I love that. Lots to say on that, but I, I think we should definitely um, 
move on to the next question before we end up talking about that for too long. But we'll definitely bring that up again because um super relatable. So my question that I have is how do you know if you're being intuitive or paranoid, especially when it comes in within trust in a relationship? Like you can overanalyze and you can also be smart. Like it's just such a hard ooh, I mean, I'm getting frustrated just talking about that. <laughs> do do I make sense? <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I really would encourage uh, you, you guys, or your listeners, to uh, read a book by Malcolm Gladwell called Blink, which is really, in a way, about the it's about the brain picking up on um, all the stimuli it does behind the scenes. But so, in a way, it's about intuition. You have to remember what you're aware of. Your brain is so powerful. So what you're aware of, that's what's going on, the stimuli that you can see and identify, your brain is picking up on so much more that you can't see behind the scenes, right? And so uh, that's where, you know, why we get these gut feelings or this doesn't feel right, something's off, you know, things like that. When you are paying attention to those cues that your body sends you, I would say that that's intuition, when you are being paranoid, you are already, you're letting your mind take you to a very dark place, basically. And then letting your anxiety is basically giving you a lot of false alarms or your brain's giving you a lot of false alarms, you know? So something about your life or your brain, it's operating the stimuli is picking up on and then assuming danger automatically. Those are false alarms, right? So I would say paranoia is kind of intuition with a buttload of anxiety combined with it. Whereas intuition in and of itself is like, if my gut is telling me something's off, I'm not going to just dive into the first thought that enters my head about what that might be, but I probably want to at least explore what's going on because something doesn't feel right. Is this also where, and sorry to like add in onto your question there, Hadassah, but where you'll see or I'll hear, and I and maybe because I grew up with a little bit older generation, but they'll say, you know, love is blind. And sometimes you can see a couple in the relationship and you're like, how does that person not see how that other person is being or, you know, what yeah. it is? And they're just blind to it. But like, are they putting up the blinders and they really know what's going on? They're just not acting upon it. I don't know if you're asking a question there, because if you are, it's a very complicated one. <laughs> Yeah, I bet it is. I, I just know, I know the term love is blind has been used. And I know even myself, I've used it. Like when I see young kids, I'm like, oh, they're so blinded by love. You just see if they're together in six months and then, you know, they wouldn't right. be. And I'm like, oh, avoided that conversation. But yeah, well, in my, if I could just real quickly, in, in my opinion, um, it's not really like you're blinded by love. It's more like that we will gravitate toward familiarity. So somebody else can look in and see all the problems with something that's going on and the other person not see it because they've navigated it before, some probably in, in their homes. It's usually when you know something traumatic happens in the relationship, uh, something like that, that people are actually able to kind of take a step back and look in and go, oh, this isn't good, you know? But then the question is, why did I end up there? How did I end up in that spot? And that's what we do in therapy is we explore those origins so that they can be the basically the, the author of their own story at that point. All right. My question is uh, one that I say all the time. Is it better to compromise or meet in the middle? Is there a difference? <laughs> well, OK, this is my thought process. Compromise, both of you kind of lose out on something 
in order to come to common ground. But if you meet in the middle, nobody necessarily has to lose anything. And it's kind of like a win-win for both of you. Can you care if I ask a question in return? Sure. Okay. Can you tell me uh, one situation in life that we use the word compromise in a positive way aside from relationships? Uh, would definitely be in a work setting. So if you have to work on, you know, you're in a team and you're working on like website design and you have to compromise your thoughts on how something may be designed because the whole team thinks Mm -hmm. it should be designed a different way or a significant quote unquote leader takes over and decides they're going to do it this way. And you have to compromise what you want because they're in charge Exactly. And, you know, the first when I answered that question, it was I thought of politics, you know, Capitol Hill, how they're constantly negotiating certain things to get bills and policies passed. You know, the workforce, Capitol Hill, these are all war zones, you know, and compromise is something you typically have to do in war. I mean, if I'm a soldier and overseas fighting, I wouldn't join the military personally. And there's a lot of uh, pathology there on why. And I can thank my mom for the U.S. military, at least the people that I know, you know, they don't want to kill anybody. But when you go over into battle, they understand that they might have to. So that's a compromise. I have to compromise this value to be able to achieve the goal, right? And so, but in our personal lives, we don't use the word compromise except for, in a good way, except for when we talk about relationships. So if your accountant compromised the books, you know, that's not good. Uh, if your integrity has been compromised, right? That's not good. Right. Uh, but then all of a sudden, compromise is supposed to be a positive thing in relationships. I'm glad you asked this question because you you don't know this, but you hit a really big issue that I'm passionate about. And I could talk forever about this. I don't believe that there is room for compromise in relationships. Um, no one should be compromising because compromise implies that someone's going to win and someone's going to lose. And if one person wins and the other person loses, then the relationship loses every time. And compromise to me is, uh, it's the path of least resistance. You know, it's just easier for one person to just go, okay, you, you can get what you want and I'll give up what I want. But that is, every time that happens, you plant a seed of resentment and that will grow. And one of these days, you're going to be sitting across from that person. You're going to go, remember when I did this for you? can't you do this for me? You know, that's resentment, right? Oh yeah. The harder thing to do, which is what couples need to be doing, is trying to figure out a path where they both win. That's the harder piece. And there's no compromise there. Now, that doesn't mean there's not sacrifice. I'm identifying what the outcome is, what I'm wanting. Let's just use an easy example. Let's just say vacation. Tell my wife, I want to go to Hawaii for vacation. But she's like, you know, we really don't have the money to do that. How would you feel about going to the Bahamas? Well, okay. You know, I, of course I would love to go to Hawaii, but maybe, maybe what I really want is just to have a tropical vacation, you know? And so we go to the Bahamas. So I don't feel like I compromise because I'm still getting what I want. And then if something happens, we get to the Bahamas and I'm like, oh, this place sucks. We should have went to Hawaii. I'm not going to resent my wife over that because I agreed to it. It was our decision. And we both took a risk and thought this was, well, people would say a good compromise, but I wouldn't, I would never, you would never catch me using that term. Um, You know, this was uh, something that we agreed on. 
And we made some, I, I made some sacrifices on how I was going to get to the destination, which is tropical location. In my mind, I wanted to be Hawaii, but I want to sacrifice that and choose the Bahamas. And if it doesn't work out, that's on me and not on her. And so it protects the relationship. So that's kind of, a, I know, a lengthy uh, way of answering your question, but I don't like the idea of having compromises in relationships. I agree 100%. I blatantly refuse to use the word compromise. To me, it's a negative word. So I always say like, meet me in the middle, because I feel like when you say meet me in the middle, then you know, you're both trying to get to the same spot. And in a compromise, you're both going to lose something. So when somebody doesn't feel like they're going to lose something, they're more willing to pitch in and meet you in the middle. If you get to the heart of what you're after, there's a lot of times we say, I want this. A lot of the times I'm reflecting on the mechanism that's going to get me to, or the, the, let's think of it this way, the, uh, the vehicle that's going to get me to the destination of what I really want. But we often focus on the vehicle first because it's easier to identify because we played out in our mind of what it would look like. If a couple can really work at diving into what are you really wanting here? And is there a way to accomplish that differently, which you, there usually is? where we both feel like we win, then that's probably the avenue you want to take. A good example of this, I've been planning on writing a blog about this, is uh, if you guys uh, would watch the movie A Beautiful Mind, uh, Audra has seen it. I'm sure Hadassah has not seen it. Based, based on what I know about her from the podcast, is definitely one of my top 10 favorite movies. And, uh, you know, the theory that he... Yeah, this is a this is a semi spoiler, but it's been twenty years, guys. So, but uh, you know, uh, John Nash, who who won, is based on a true story about John Nash, who won the Nobel Prize, and uh, he didn't really disprove his theory. He really completed it in his mind of you know the I think a father of modern economics at that time, Adam Smith, who basically had a theory that said every, every man for themselves. Which I know they say in man, but so if we change that up, every man or woman or person for themselves. Every person for themselves. Love it. Yeah, every person for themselves. And of course, that sounds like that sounds awfully selfish now thinking about that, right? But what John Nash said is that every person should do what's best for themselves and the group. So he completes the, well, he, he would say Adam Smith's theory is just incomplete. So when I'm working with couples on this, a lot of times I would say, like uh, my wife's name is Amanda, I would say, uh, I'm either thinking what's best for me or, or maybe I should do what's best for Amanda. Well, what's best for Amanda is up to Amanda. That's not, that's not up to me. That's up to Amanda. My job is to look at starting with what's best for me and then move into, okay, how's that going to impact the group? And then um, if Amanda is doing the same thing, then all three entities are being covered in terms of care. You know, mm-hmm. is that best for me? She's, she's saying what's best for me in the group. The two entities of the individuals involved, Amanda and Josh, we're taking our autonomy into consideration, our individual selves, and we are both taking into consideration the relationship. I love it. That's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to ask the last question, and this is a little different than the other ones. The other ones were more relationship kind, but this one is a question that I know a lot of people have. What are the first steps to losing weight? Okay. So another, it's a complicated question. So I will give you guys a little bit of personal information about me and your viewers here. There's nothing that's been more difficult in my life. And this is my opinion, but I should know because I was there, the battling weight loss, you know, or, or body image and things like that. I think the first thing to recognize is that 
is the genetic piece of it is understanding genetics. You know, even the, the CEO of Weight Watchers has come out speaking about how genetics works and, you know, it's just going to be harder, you know, um, but um, I don't know if I could give anybody a magic bullet on it. I think I could probably be better at telling them what, what more of the pitfalls are. I've heard you guys talking on your podcast about certain, you know, you're like challenge each other with uh, diets or working out and things like that. When I say diet, you know, life enhancements, right. so like different habits that we can create to um, right, enhance right. our life instead yeah. of being like, Oh, we need to do um, pay someone, you know, X amount of dollars right. to, to coach me to lose weight, you know, something that right. we can do for ourselves, for our bodies. Exactly. And I am not, uh, when I use the word diet, I'm not referring to some kind of trendy diet. I'm just talking about the food you fuel your body with. Uh, but I myself too have, you know, this, I'm glad you brought this up because I was itching to share this with you guys. You know, I, the last several weeks, I, I don't know what clicked in me, but I have just been changing a lot of habits in turn. You know, I have lost quite a bit of weight. For example, i just I've drank in the last four or five weeks, I've had nothing but to drink but water. And I haven't had any sweets other than uh, fruit, which these are two, I call these the bookends, you know, of my unhealthy food habits, you know, um, what I'm drinking and what yeah. I'm in and, and then sweets, you know, uh, so and then it kind of is weird. Then all of a sudden I find myself meal prepping and uh, <laughs> turning things down. And I'm like, just because I tackled these two things and I, and to be honest with you, I don't even really trust it yet. I haven't been in it long enough to feel like it's going to be how it's going to be. Right? right. And I've had enough, I've had enough failure, so to speak, in the other uh, ventures I've had in this to, to question, like, is this just going to be another one of those things? But it does, it definitely feels different. And one mantra I have been big on is uh, loving yourself at all sizes, because you're never going to be one size your whole life. If you can only love yourself at one size, then you might have just a fraction of your life where you felt like you really loved yourself. And I, I think that was some of it with me, too, is when I just got tired of looking in the mirror and not liking myself, it felt like like after I got through the first day of this new habit forming plan that I'm on, uh, which by the way, I'm not following any, any particular, I'm not counting calories. I'm not, I'm just changing how I'm doing life when it comes to my diet. And after I got past that first day, cause it's just hard in terms of emotionally and things like that, I almost instantaneously started to like who I was looking at in the mirror, even though nothing has physically changed about me. In fact, you know, I weigh over 300 pounds. So, and I've lost about 15 pounds. No one's going to wow. notice that. That's a, it's a lot of weight. What do you mean? The first the 10 pounds are like great for like, shipping. sure. Yeah. It's, I feel differently, but I understand that the more weight you have packed on when you lose it, it's going to take a little bit for people to actually notice something. But that doesn't bother me. Like, I don't right. care that that no one's commenting on it because I feel really good. And I really like just going and brushing my teeth in the morning and just liking the guy that's staring back at me. 
uh, in the mirror. That is, <laughs> that might be weird guys. I brush my teeth out of sink, looking into a mirror, not across from some weird person. Um, oh, really? I do it in the shower. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> oh, that's a whole yeah. another show. Oh my gosh. People have like concerns about this. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so I know this isn't answering exactly the question that you're asking. Cause I don't think there is a step one. I think the best advice I could give is to really start learning about yourself and your pathology with food. And I think it's much more about emotions than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, how, what it means to you to, to have this or to give this up. I think that we expect like when we want to lose weight, we're going to have this huge journey ahead of us and it's going to be this long uphill battle. And that's what places mm-hmm. like um, Weight Watchers, by the way, they'll preach that about how we just take it one step at a time. It's all a big journey, up, uphill battle, all that stuff. But then if you, you say you made like a few changes and you, you know, like had a little success and by the way, that's amazing. And that's not little, but I'm just saying like in your head, that's what you might think like people mm-hmm. won't notice, but actually 15 pounds is amazing but you notice changes in other aspects. So it's like, uh, and I was just telling a friend this today because she was talking about like, we were talking about recovery and things like that. And I was like, it's so funny that when you do that first step, how much it boosts you forward, just the first step, but the rest of it, the Mm -hmm. steps are not actually that much because um, habits and mindset and all that, you know? Exactly. And and people that are taking this journey, you got to have multiple ways of measuring success. It can't just be what the scale is saying. You know, uh, it's got to be how you feel physically, you know, paying attention to that, how your clothes fit, how what the scale can be a part of that. But aside from all those ways of measuring, nothing had, I mean, I'm talking about I'm a day in it, one day right. in it. And I already, because I feel like I'm taking, I, I think it's because I was taking control finally, mm-hmm, you know, yeah. that of really doing this. And I just immediately liked the person I, w- I am. Uh, or was at that time, just how I was. And I think that's crucial. But, you know, the psychology and the pathology of it all is also really big. And I do think that whatever you consume yourself with, you'll become. I really do believe that. So if people that are listening to this, you know, if, if there's a really good podcast or books or things that are about just nutrition and, and or, or loving yourself or whatever it is, I, I think you are what you eat, right? Mm-hmm. You are what you eat. So whatever you consume, you, that's who you're, that's what you're going to become. So consume good things mentally and emotionally, you know, and that'll, uh, I think be a, a good step. One more thing about that journey. And one thing I just want to recognize that one, just, it is easier, I think for, on a couple fronts for men, uh, just, you know, men drop weight a little easier. It seems at least if, and if I got the science wrong on that, someone can let me know, but also, um, I just think culturally, it's easier for men because there isn't an expectation about physical appearance for us like there is for women. So I just want the viewers to understand as you're listening to this, this man talk about losing weight and dropping 15 pounds in, in four to five weeks that you're going, yeah, of course, men drop weight a lot faster and it's not, it's not as hard for them from a cultural standpoint. I don't understand that. I believe you as a, uh, a woman telling me that it's harder for you as a woman to do this. I believe that very much. So I just want to recognize that for the viewers out there. That's sweet. That's sweet. I love it. Okay. So we know you have to go because um, I'm sure you got a whole lot. You're a profession. You have a profession, you know, so I'm sure you have a lot of things to do. <laughs> but um, where can people find you on social media? Tell us about it. On Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, it's all the same at Mr. Nicholsworth. 
that's a good place to find me and keep up with content that I'm putting out. So yeah. And if anyone has questions for Josh, we keep a running list. Um, yes, it's longer than this. So you can always email us um, and we'll we'll give out the information soon. But Josh, are we going to do a clubhouse call sometime? Like, are we going to get on clubhouse? Well, I'm for uh, any idea, as long as I can work it in my schedule. One thing I, that yeah. that is different about this day and age right now is that mental health professionals, a lot of us anyways, are very overworked right now uh, at this point in the pandemic. And so I'm filling up even my wiggle room now at this point. So as long as we can get it into the schedule, I'm I'm more than willing to make room for you guys. I, I love talking to you guys and I think you guys are doing a great thing. All right. That sounds amazing. We'll definitely be speaking to you soon. That's for sure. We'll have you on as soon as possible, as soon as we can get you back in on your busy schedule. I wasn't, I wasn't wrong about the professional thing. Was I? Because <laughs> you just said no, no. I, I'm not. I'm not sitting around waiting to get on the call with you guys all day. <laughs> That's, I've been waiting around for weeks. Like when? When are they going to call me? Like I'm. My wife's like, she was about to call you guys and tell you you guys need to get Josh on a call. <laughs> get you off the couch. Doing nothing. All day. <laughs> but all right. definitely make sure you send us your questions as well. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'll be. As I, listen, as I listen to the episodes, I'll start trying to jot down some notes because uh, I know I've had them as I've been listening in, in the midst of my laughter and uh, oh. almost tears. Oh, uh, well, we're dying to know. Nah. So. You have <laughs> a great right. rest of your week, weekend, whatever it is, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. It's good seeing you guys again. Right, Thank bye. you, bye. too. Bye. Before we go, we want to highlight a comment that we had on our podcast episode on Apple Podcasts. It is from Brenda, who is one of the moderators of the BT Facebook page. And it was just so sweet. And I was like, we have to read it. And I guess I'll read it. So it says, um, two ladies that became friends a world apart through mutual love of an amazing radio show. What are the odds? Question mark, parentheses, as Bobby Bones would say. Now, how many more of us Bobby Bones show lovers can make such a connection as organic and genuine as this? 100% emoji, thumbs up emoji, and the three heart emoji. I love it. That's so sweet. That sweet. That is the sweetest thing. I just thought we had to highlight it because it's those little things that really do make us happy. And I know it's been sitting there for a while and I've been meaning to bring it up a lot, but um. I don't know. It's just the fact that we get feedback and stuff is really, really keeps us feeling very positive and happy and feeling like people enjoy what we're doing. So I appreciate you. Thank you so much, Brenda. And also to all the moderators on the Facebook page, you guys are amazing. Amazing. (laughs) I don't know anyone else who can do it like that. So um, y'all are amazing. I will say, because I know I share this when we met in Clubhouse, that I was pulling out of my driveway and I ran into my first fan. And yes, it might be somebody that I know, but I didn't know that they listened to my podcast. And they said they did. And I literally was probably 50 shades of red because I was like, yay, I got a Audra, did did you say the word fan? Did you say the word fan or did you say the word fan? I'm I'm just saying the word fan now. Oh, but what word did she use? Was it fan? No, she just said she listened to my <laughs> podcast and they were really heartwarming and also kind of tearing at your heart kind of stories, but that she loved them. And I was so blown away because I didn't, I wouldn't have thought in a million years that she'd listen and she did. And I was like, yay. 
So I won't give her a shout out because I don't want to put her on the spot, but she knows who she is. Oh, that's so sweet. I love that. Made my whole day. I literally was like walking through the stores like, yeah, people know me. We want you to subscribe to our podcast wherever you are listening to this right now. This way you can get notified when we put out new episodes, which we put out every Wednesday and Friday. So you can look out for that. You can find us on social media at a bit above pod. And you can email us at a bit above pod at gmail.com.